Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. ever heard floated mm. i i don't know i'm not familiar with this to me it seems really potent and it's the situation where margot robbie is this incredibly talented beautiful actress obviously everybody fucking knows that mm-hmm. but she seems to have a curse and the curse as i've noticed it is that she will either get a really kind of thankless supporting role or even if it's a good supporting role an exciting character that's well thought out and well written it'll still seem marginalized within the context of a movie and that movie will be a masterpiece by a great auteur or she will get exactly the kind of sort of signal-boosting, exciting, just juicy anti-hero part that you would want for her, and that movie will be a fiasco. Huh. Okay, so uh, clearly you're referring to Harley Quinn. Right. Okay, yes. and what is this... Or, 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 yeah, what is this masterpiece that in, in which she takes a supporting role? Well, the ones I was thinking of Please don't say Wolf of Wall Street. Were Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, my God. Yes. Okay. Mm, all right. And also, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh. Two, mm. I feel, absolutely great movies in which she is great. And yet, I mean, one of them, she's playing a fascinating character, a well-written character, but a Scorsese girlfriend character in a movie that's sure. all, like, hopped up on coke and macho and shit, and she's got to, like, be fully nude and all this stuff. There's just all this stuff about it that makes it feel compromising, and also, I mean, she's so far from being the star of that. That is the Leo show. Right. 
And then you got Once Upon Gosh, a Time in two Hollywood. movies with DiCaprio. And she's, Interesting. She's great in that. She's great in that. It's a fantastic part. But it's like she's the she, one was she character even in, in the a movie? Tarantino movie who doesn't talk. Yeah. You know? She doesn't do anything in that <laughs> she's movie. She's like the only character who doesn't have dialogue in the history of Tarantino's films, you know? But then, you know, she gets The Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey and these movies or like Mary Queen of Scots fucking i tanya like movies mm. where you're like oh man here's a role where she's really gonna get to kick ass she's driving the entire plot and they're all so bad i tanya is the one that really sealed it interesting me, you really like, did not like that film that movie i did so not think it was bad, so terrible dude. it's so bad oh no, wow I'm, okay i do not fuck with that movie at all really I know that movie was at least, like, decently well-received. They got awards nominations, but mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Uh, I just thought that movie totally lacked empathy. That was my problem with it. For, for her? Or just in general? For every single person except her. And then the thing is, I felt like you couldn't really take the empathy it had for her seriously either, though. Because really, that movie, to me, like, kind of treated every single person human being in it like a cartoon character some of them to be like completely idiotic and then others like in the case of her or her mother it's like yeah it's trying to like engage your sympathy but it's still just so broad and the tone of it is so judgmental and kind of ugly i i really thought that movie sucked interesting i i don't i i'm not gonna say necessarily that i liked it but i don't think i hated it in the same way that you did i think it was a well-made movie i think she's great in it she's so good is there yeah she is like there is there misanthropy in there sure yeah it just felt like sub coen brothers shit to me so yeah there's that you know how when people try to rip off the coen brothers the part of the the recipe they always get wrong is like the human sympathy because right. it's so easy to stand outside the Coen brothers thing and be like, oh, they think all these characters are stupid. Mm-hmm. The Coens clearly care more than that and are smarter filmmakers than that and invest in all of their characters, even when they make them look ridiculous. And then you get these like, I don't know, dark comedy kind of rip off tones where people just can't get the balance right. I don't know. I even have that problem with the Fargo TV show sometimes, honestly. Like, I feel like when don't that show is that show. I don't think it, you know what look no no I, I like that nope. show a lot but when it it's not right on with that tone it's such a hard balance it's just it's why the Coens are the fucking best it sure really is yeah to go back to your point though uh, do I think that there is I mean maybe you're right but I I don't know if that is Robbie specifically or the fact that no one knows how to cast oh, her. I think she has no control over it. Yeah. She's literally she's, great in all of these yeah, things. Yeah, it's the casting. It's uh, it's other people. Maybe it's just, too, that they're such a pathetically small and, and undeveloped precedence for really, like, juicy female anti-hero roles. There just aren't enough scripts out there that are really tailored to someone of her talents. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, probably a little of it, too, is the, the projects you chooses and stuff but then for me too so i don't know how you felt about this i loved james gunn's suicide squad this year it's one of my favorite oh yeah year i thought it was fucking awesome 2021 yeah it's great so in his wheelhouse it's like oh man i love the guardians movies but i was like the thing that they're missing to me is that really 
transgressive sense of humor. Yeah, absolutely. That trauma (laughs) humor, that R-rated humor, that thing where he's like, I can love a character and invest myself in them and still make their death into this gory punchline, you know? And I fucking love that. I I think it's great. Yeah. But the thing about that movie is that he clearly did not want Harley Quinn involved in it. He was contractually obligated to have her in it. And all of her scenes feel shoehorned into it. And you're like... Uh, what is this doing here? This movie seems to like actively resent that it has to have Harley Quinn in it as a character. So it's like, finally, even with that, with her like most iconic role, she finally gets in a good movie with it. And the movie just doesn't want to have anything to do, to with, do her. with her. Mm. It like shunts her off into another thankless supporting role. So I swear, the, the Margot Robbie curse is in full effect. Still. I will have to think more about that. I hadn't considered it. And I will think more about it. I'm not sure you're Phil right. Phil is like totally, totally skeptical. Yeah, this. I'm skeptical of this. I'm sorry. Yeah, well. I'm definitely yeah, pulling fine. a scully on this one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Here's what I'll say. I am of the belief that provided that nothing catastrophic happens and she mm-hmm. continues to pick good projects, I predict that Zendaya will eventually win an Oscar. Oh, I could see it. I could see it. Mm-hmm. The kinds of roles that she wants to dig into. She just, she has that kind of like 70s character actor as leading actor thing where she just wants to get down in the grit, do some fucking John Cassavetes shit. Yeah, I could see it. And you imagine her talents are just going to continue to mature. Absolutely. She's making her money now with that Spider-Man stuff like that. So she's going to be in a great position to just do whatever. Whatever it is that she wants. Yeah. I could see her working with some very, very premier directors um, at some point very, very in the near future. I mean, look how good she makes Sam Levinson look. I know. his busted-ass dialogue, (laughs) you know? (laughs) She makes him look like a genius. She does. She makes him look like a goddamn genius. (laughs) She really does, though. Yeah, that's that's my big push for today. Nice. Hell Mm -hmm. yeah. I like it. I like it. We doing this? Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. We are so happy to have you with us. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is Alex Sinesi. Dude, how you doing? Good, good. No superlatives this time. Just nope, like, nothing. along with me is uh, this fucking guy. Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fine. We all know. That's fine. We all know what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> nothing serious. Yeah, (laughs) not from this corner of the room. Mm -mm. Just a guy. Oh, man. So today we are talking about another two episodes of Lost. What what, what are we at? 20, 21? We are at 21 and 22 because I believe the way that they're split up uh, for the finale is kind of fucky because you've got the one double length episode. But right. Yeah, no, no, no. Semantics, we're, we're, we, yeah. we're counting them the way that we want to. We do whatever yeah, we exactly. want here. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. So today we are talking about two more episodes. We're talking about the greater good, and we're talking about Born to Run. I think this is interesting because the last time that you and I talked, we said that we felt like the show was finally taking off. Things are moving forward. We're talking about the hatch. We're talking about the raft that's being built. Things are headed towards a point of culmination and explosion and a climax, and then these two episodes happen. And I thought to myself, why? Why two episodes in a row about stuff that I kind of don't care about, you know? 
I think I'm a little more positive on these episodes than you are. I think what? Okay, go I ahead. I think these episodes are very uneven, but I think there's good stuff in both. Hmm. I think I liked Born to Run more than you did. I did. I would mm, say. Oh, re- okay. Because the greater good for me, it had all the elements. It had all the ingredients for a great episode you got a bunch of island conflict you got a bunch of characters confronting each other and you got a saeed flashback and it felt so flat to me it doesn't do anything whatsoever yeah Uh, well i'll say this before we get into either one i thought it was interesting so these two episodes are kind of the like final runway getting set up for the big finale right yes and i thought it was interesting that before the greater good, Lost took a three-week hiatus, and then it came back, not with a new episode, but with a clip show called Lost the Journey, which was narrated by Brian Cox, which was a fucking trip. Oh, a yes. Fucking trip to hear Logan Roy over oh, here yes. mm-hmm. in his, like, dulcet Scottish tones be like, what if you were on a flight from Sydney to Los, Los Angeles? Angeles. A plane full of strangers. You could be sitting next to anyone. A doctor. An addict. A prisoner. (laughs) Now, what if something went wrong? Put those french fries into your mouth. Instead, put them directly inside your quarter pounder, where they belong. The hottest, juiciest quarter pounder yet. It's perfect. Made perfecter. That's exactly where I was headed with that. I was (laughs) like, this guy just classes up McDonald's so well. That's what he does. So well. I'm just like, oh yeah, let's go out on a date. We're going to Mickey D's. Right, right. He is totally in McDonald's mode right now. He is. Uh, I love that metatextually with Succession, it just makes him even Trumpier because you can just imagine him, Logan Roy, just ordering in McDonald's for everyone up on Happy Meals and spreading them out into a feast table situation. <laughs> Roman, did you get your goddamn toy with your Happy Meal? That's exactly it. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, they they ran that ahead of time, and I thought it was funny because the recap had no flashback material in it whatsoever. It was mm. just the island stuff. Interesting. But they were, like, prioritizing what everyone needs to know going into the, the finale. Uh, none of the flashbacks. None of the flashbacks no are important. No backstory whatsoever. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that that's the network, I will say. I'm yes. sure that wouldn't have been, like, Lindelof's choice as to how to emphasize, you know, that. But still, it is striking that it's like, yeah, what you need to know going into the finale, just what's happening on the beach. Okay, so, like, let's... Man, I don't want to do this. You and I are both watching a television show that engages people getting lost <laughs> after a plane crash. And there are flashbacks. Of- I know. I, I, should we just wait? We, we should wait, right? We, we got to wait on the Yellow Jackets oh, thing, man. man. We got to wait. Oof. I know. It. All right, all right, all right. I'll stop. Anyway. Yeah. But it is definitely, it's building upon. The formula that was laid down here, it's taking it and running with it. And it has such a strong aesthetic that it layers on top of it. It which, does. 
makes it stand apart so much I from know. this fucking episode, The Greater Good, which talk about an episode with no aesthetic. No aesthetic. Uh, mm, all right, let's just get it. Okay, so in The Greater Good, this is a Saeed-centered episode. Saeed takes center stage. This is right after uh, Boone's death. The survivors are holding a funeral for Boone. Shannon, oh, no, she's they're go- not. Wait, they're, they're not? They're holding a Booneral. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Michael Giacchino you waited, coming you through. Waited, you waited. Coming How long? through with a hot, hot new composition that he entitled Booneral. Just in you, case you were wondering if behind the scenes people were taking this shit seriously. He I clearly mean, was not. He was not. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he was setting himself up for that Batman. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. Here we go. So, yeah. So, we've got Shannon. She's grieving. We're learning that Sawyer is actually a better babysitter than Charlie, which is surprising and yet somehow still makes sense. And then Jack, he loses the keys to the gun case. Yeah. Sawyer's just got that ASMR drip. He really does. On. He ought to start his own YouTube channel. Exactly. One that just helps people fall asleep, just lulling them to sleep, reading A Wrinkle in Time. No, it should just actually be specifically for toddlers and babies and infants, not for adults, because that's clearly not his market. And it should just be him reading slowly like, Mr. Sawyer, you ruined my life when I was a child. Exactly. You made my father kill my mother. And if I ever am able to, you know, get revenge, blah, blah, blah. And this is what infants would listen to on a loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Where the red fern grows and uh, water. Ship down exactly. and also my revenge letter <laughs> exactly in between and then maybe some charlotte's yeah. web all right here we go we're staying on course with this uh this pod oh yeah so when Locke returns to the beach camp he admits his role in boone's death shannon she calls upon saeed to return to the dark arts of interrogation it's like waking up john wick that's how i felt when i watched her ask him to get back into you know the interrogation and torture it was like oh he's gonna go back to this reluctantly just like keanu he's gonna go smash up his basement and uh pull out a box full of gold coins yep yeah yep and i'm here for it it's pretty exciting right Uh, yeah that kind of that got me jazzed for um what saeed was gonna do what struck me about it too was you remember how we were talking about shannon how it would have been so interesting if she went full-on villain and became like a nexium cult member you know seeing her on this revenge trip you're immediately like oh man yeah she does this well Mm -hmm. like she snaps into being this kind of problem character who is motivating people to do the wrong thing yep and it it really works for her yep i think so yeah so in the flashback storyline saeed he's relocated to london he's infiltrating a terror cell in doing so he's betraying a close friend and he's doing all of this in exchange for learning nadia's whereabouts um it's been several years since the previous flashback and he has no idea where he's at where she is at excuse me he has an opportunity to learn a little bit about where she is and again continue to search for her and hopefully find her when Saeed decides to take uh, Locke for a walk in the jungle to see this crashed plane, Locke reveals that he was the one who knocked Saeed unconscious and destroyed the transmitter all the way back in what, episode three? Episode three or four? I don't remember. Anyway, yeah. Um, so he reveals no, that. Right. So, so he reveals that he's part Ent. That he is part. He he's part Ent. They're part of his tribe. And I think ultimately he really is revealing the fact that he is like committed to staying on the island no matter what. Like even if they had like a rescue party coming to pick them up, he wouldn't get on the boat, I don't think. 
No, he's having a parlay here. He's like, we're having a two-person ent mood right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So things, they come to a head when Shannon pulls a gun on Locke, um, but fails to kill him due to Saeed's intervention. That strains their relationship. By the episode's end, Saeed and Shannon, yeah, they're pretty much over, and Locke is forced by Saeed to reveal the hatch. And that's kind of the end of the episode. It, 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 not much happened. Not much of consequence happens. If anything, it feels like it's wrapping up the Boone storyline. You had to have that Boone role, man. Yeah. But I will say this episode has one really great scene that I love. And no surprise, it's more incredible acting from Terry O'Quinn. But the part where he interrupts the Boonerol oh, yeah. to yeah. give the lamest, most halting explanation of what happened and everyone just starts to turn on him and like Matthew Fox oh, Fox down is into great. that well of domestic battery energy oh, yes. and he gets <laughs> oh. real, real oh. fucking angry with it. Yeah, he's incredible. In oh, you scene. went there. Yeah, it's great. I love that performance that was, there. That was in poor taste. I agree. Dude, Dominic Monaghan called him out recently where somebody was like, oh, are you and Matthew Fox going to like reconcile? I hear you're on the outs. And he's like, "Uh, no, he beats women. Fuck that guy. I did hear about that. Yeah, that was cool. That was much better than the shit that uh, Evangeline Lilly's posting on Instagram. Are we just going to do this? Okay, we might as well. Uh, All right. This is your girl. You've been thirsting for her the whole time. Literally for decades. You have been. Yeah. And. She is not about that jab, son. No shit, man. She does not want the Fauci ouchie. Oof. Nope. <laughs> she doesn't want that double jab, you know? Nope. Maybe Nor a the little triple. booster at the end? Nope. Mm. None of that nope. for Evangeline Lilly. And I think, man, you heard how she tried to couch it, right? Like, it's kind of like, this is my medical freedom type of thing. Yeah, but she went to an anti-vax, like, rally I in know, DC. dude. So, fuck that. Oof sucks man mm-hmm, it fucking sucks mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. did you see um there's an instagram post she did and uh maggie grace actually came in her comments and was like yo this is actually dangerous you really should yo, like, reconsider this and it was just like yo, damn shannon shannon, in, shannon with the points. smarts yeah right? come on girl mm-hmm. okay I know. all right I know. shannon <laughs> oof oh yeah. my god all right What's up with Marvel actors being anti-vax, man? I don't know. I guess every fucking actor is a Marvel actor now, so, like, the distinction shouldn't even be there. Yeah, I know. It's It's wild. It's interesting because as soon as I read the story, I thought to myself, Kevin Feige, he's got to be, like, thinking to himself, how can we kill off the Wasp? How do we make this (laughs) happen? Right. Oh, man. I thought this episode showcased what Lost could be doing better and i think it really is that this show is best when there are interpersonal conflicts i really don't care about the monster i don't really care about the polar bear the hatch is a good mystery all of these mysteries they're intriguing but like the show is at its best when you're pitting people up against each other and what it is that they want and their own like perspectives I mean, I'm with you, but that's, it's such a hindsight take. At the time, I know the character stuff was the juice for each episode, but we were all hanging on the mysteries. We were. And I think that's what led to disappointment down the road with the show. 
Right. And so coming back and being like, yeah, the strength is in the character dynamics, and it always was. That's fair, but it's like uh, the the way that the show functions on a first watch is not about that. Right. It's all about the mysteries. I, it's it's such a throwback to a time when networks could really step up and have a huge budget thing that was also like high quality and was like breaking the mold. Mm-hmm. You look at them now and they're just, they're just hopeless, man. They're just, they are lost. Literally. Oh, okay. And they're lost because they're also trying to fucking remake lost. Of course. You seen this La Brea shit? No, I haven't. Dude. La Brea is hilarious. Man. What is this? Look up a trailer, dude. Oh, my God. It's literally like a sinkhole opens up in the middle of L.A. near the La Brea Target. Oh, wait. No, no, no. no, no. I do know about this. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And they land in dinosaur times. That's right. I forgot about this. It's the most shameless, uh, just pillaging lost. And also creating this massive budget thing that looks so stupid. And you're just immediately like, NBC, like, are you okay? They're what not. What are you doing? They're not okay. They're flailing, man. They are oh, drowning. Man. You're absolutely right. Yeah. What yeah. did you think about the episode? You know, I was frustrated with this episode too for a bunch of reasons. One thing is that this episode really indulges something. Something I've mentioned before, but one of my least favorite TV tropes, which is the pull a gun on a character, point it at them very meaningfully. Oh boy! And then yeah. you don't pull the trigger. Yep. And. These characters do that, and then they'll go back to being friends or compatriots, working together to get something done, maybe, like, within the same episode. But when a show pulls this, it's so annoying. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know that it's just a a false spike of drama in the middle of things, and nobody's going to get hurt. It's a bunch of series regulars, and they even do the thing that drives me crazy, which is Saeed is pointing a Glock at Locke, his Lock Glock. He then fucking pulls back the hammer with a ching sound yeah. effect. And a Glock doesn't have a fucking hammer. Oh, There's boy. nothing for him to do. <laughs> like, it's a slide. That gun does not cock like that. But it has to cock because he has to do something to be like, no, no, I'm really going to shoot you now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't stand that shit, man. And then it happens again with Shannon. And that time, at least, I mean, I, I'll give them credit that the gun goes off. But like, We knew that she was not going to kill Locke. Like, come on. Yeah. yeah, so they do that shit twice in this episode, and I just, I am not here for that. I, I think it's just such tropey nonsense. And then the Saeed flashback, I just, I I liked the Saeed flashback my first time through. I remember thinking that this was a good episode, and coming back, I'm like, this is a bunch of nonsense, honestly. It doesn't take you anywhere. No. I think a big part of the problem is his friend, Assam. Assam, that's right. Who, for one thing, very distracting in that he looks like a really skinny Gerard Butler. I don't know if you noticed this, but like, <laughs> I didn't think about that. Especially with the beard, he really looks like Gerard Butler pre Geostorm before his face started weighing about 80 pounds all on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, his character makes no sense. First, he's like, I'm a terrorist, I'm a suicide bomber. And then he's like, oh, no, actually, I want to live. And I deplore the idea of this. And Saeed, you've reminded me how much I appreciate my life, despite all of this tragedy. And then Saeed's like, nah, actually, you got to do it. Right. And he talks right. him into the suicide bombing and then says, no, wait, actually, don't do it. And Assam's like, oh, no, I'll just suicide bomb my own brain with this right. gun right now. 
What did he want to do? I don't understand any of these decisions. This guy needed to sort himself out, clearly. Yeah, it's such a roller coaster with this song. Just, like, pick a side, my man. I just didn't get what was going on with him, man. And the whole thing, I don't know. These CIA agents were so one-dimensionally evil. They felt really cartoonish. And the way they're pushing Saeed into this, I don't know. It just, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me that they would be pinning all their hopes for a sting operation on this guy. Like, who's ex-Republican guard and they know nothing about, but they're just like, oh yeah, he'll be our perfect sleeper agent? Yeah. What? I don't so know, man. I thought it would be would have been a much more interesting story for us to know how Saeed avoided getting killed after Nadia escaped. Yeah. That's way more interesting to me. I don't really care about what he did in London. Like, I would prefer to know, like, how did this man survive? Sydney, like, I yeah, think, excuse me. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. You got that photoshopped in uh, Sydney Opera House. In yeah, the exactly. Tell me how this guy immediately avoided getting executed. That's the more interesting story. Yeah, definitely. How he probably pulled every favor he could. And he could be like, searching for nadia the whole way as well whereas now it's like oh nadia's fine she's living in the u.s and she's doing great but we could like snatch her up on a bullshit charge for being an insurgent she was an insurgent against hussein and the republican guard she like why would they arrest why would they arrest her for that i don't understand (laughs) this is backwards (laughs) yeah exactly I don't know. Anyway, all right. I feel like I'm dunking on this episode too much. I just didn't. I didn't feel any type of way about either of them. I I really liked the lock scene. I liked everyone turning on him. Although there was a little moment of misdrama there in that we didn't get any sort of um, coverage of Walt when Locke was making his big terrible speech and oh, then Jack yeah. attacked him. And I would have loved to have seen a bit of. Walt back with his father, back in that closer relationship, now looking at Locke and being like, mm-hmm. this is... This guy's dangerous I and a creep. this guy was the dude? Nah, this guy's fucked up. Which happens in the next episode. Right. And I don't know why they saved it. That would have been a great moment, I think. But yeah, I, I think that's a great moment. I think Maggie Grace is legit excellent in this. I think she really steps up. But the whole thing with the flashback is really, in the end, you just get the origin of how Saeed ended up on this flight. Basically, yeah. And it's a convoluted thing. It's that he has to, of course, choose to not take the flight that didn't crash, but to get this later flight so that he can bury his friend. And I don't know, man. Yeah. I, mean, I think part of the problem here really comes down to the directing. I thought this episode looked really flat. I thought that for having this flashback that could have seemed so dangerous and stressful and dynamic, it just didn't have that energy to me and uh it was this guy uh david grossman who directed it grossman that's right yeah he was part of abc's directing stable because he was doing desperate housewives he was on lloyd braun's other hijack tv baby oh he did yes 52 episodes of that show no so i think they were literally just like we're running everyone ragged on this schedule. Jack Bender has so much to do. Let's just plug in this other ABC guy. But you look at his credits before that, and he was just a really different kind of director, in my opinion. He was a million credits. His IMDb is pages and pages. But 
he started directing live comedy and talk shows and things like that in the 90s. He directed the VMAs in 1993. What? Okay. Did some big, complicated productions. Sure. He did like 16 episodes of this Disney Channel, Adventures in Wonderland. I don't know if you ever saw that. My sister was really into that show. No, I've never seen it. It was like a live-action Alice thing with puppets and stuff like that. And he did 13 episodes of In Living Color. He did Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Lois and Clark. He did a Mr. Show. He did Hercules the Legendary Journeys, oh, 20 yes. episodes of Mad TV, so much 90s TV, but like not really anything even slightly prestige yeah. nothing really even with a lot of like drama to it, you know? Yeah. Uh, the one thing I guess that probably plugged him in was that he was in the Whedonverse, as so many of these directors were. He did some Buffy starting in season three. He directed some Angel. The only feature film this guy ever did is after Buffy, he directed George of the Jungle 2, not starring <laughs> Brendan Fraser. The direct-to-video sequel. And it's like, you pull up a poster Ooh, of this thing, and it's like an anti-advertisement. Wow. This looks like trash, and here you go. Here's not Brendan Fraser as George. <laughs> You're just immediately creating the best argument to never look at this thing, ever. Wow. And even Fraser was like, I have no idea why they didn't even ask me to do the sequel, man. I would have done it. That's but on so Wikipedia, <laughs> they they just, you know, they have that short description at the top of exactly what the movie is and followed it up with this one withering sentence, which was, the sequel was universally panned. There we go. And that's the end there of the we description go. That's on it. it. <laughs> we already know that. I mean, yeah, like that's just kind of like in its bones. You just look yeah. at it and you go like, okay, I, I know where this had, I know yep. where this yep. where this ended up. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So just like I think an odd choice to direct Lost, a pretty serious grounded episode of Lost too. They they just needed, you know, to bring in a pitch hitter and uh I think that the episode that this guy delivered just lacked that spark that it needed because I think even taking kind of all of the the stuff that bugged us about the sort of circular nature of these conflicts and the sort of inherent weakness of the writing in the Saeed flashback, if it was directed really fucking well, exactly. if it was stressful and intense, I think this episode totally could have gotten past us and we would be like, no, this is our, one of the better episodes of the season. Even looking at these two episodes, Born to Run is way better directed, in my opinion. I agree, yes. A much, much stronger episode visually. But yeah, I mean, this guy, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. He kept directing. <laughs> I love like, that. He directs like crazy up to this day. Right now, he's the regular director on this fucking Fox show, 911. Oh, yes, of course. Which, I've only seen the ads for it. Me too. It just everything looks like it's in peril. Literally every episode is like, oh, we're telling the real stories, the first responders. And here's this episode about how a Corvette got stuck inside of a plane that got stuck inside of a truck that got stuck inside of a water tower that got stuck inside of my fucking dickhole. You know, it's like fucking ridiculous. Like, what is happening here? Yeah. What kind of a situation yeah. is this? People have to rescue the letters of the Hollywood sign as they're sliding yes. down a mountain on a helicopter. What? What are we doing? I have doing no here? idea what's going on on that show. And I feel like that it show... It just seems, again, like a network... No, 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 hold on. It, no, money, no, dude, it, it you know? needs... You know what it needs? Mm -hmm. It needs the first responders from Chicago Fire. That's who it needs. It needs the pros from Dick Wolf's universe to come in, swoop in, and make some good things happen, okay? That's all it is. 
It needs some of that Dick Wolf Chicago grit, man. Exactly. Some soot on their faces, staring off into the distance. Yep. These guys are sparks floating past them. Nah, nah. This is all together, just way too clean. I heard that he's got a um, show in the works. It's called uh, Chicago Therapists. Nice. Looks wild. So many burnt cardigans. (laughs) They're just like burning copies of the DSM-5 raining down all around the characters on the poster. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, that was a joke just for Phil. That was great. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 911's funny though, dude. They do these um, flashback episodes on it, not unlike Lost. And mm. I do think, in a weird way, that show is probably also drafting off of Lost with the sort of spectacle plus character driven stuff and mm-hmm. the sort of big budget, but it's still glossy. It's still full of pretty people you would see in a procedural kind of a thing. But mm-hmm. they do these flashback episodes, and every flashback episode that shows how a character got started as a first responder ends with the word begins. Oh, boy. Like it's fucking Batman Batman Begins. begins. (laughs) Yes. Only instead it's Buck Begins and Chimney Begins. Athena Begins. You can't just drop Begins at the end of this shit like we already care, man. It's because it's fucking Batman. That's why that title structure works. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work with whoever the fuck Chimney is. You know what, though? I think Dick Wolf is just like, I don't care. I've been doing this for 20 to 30 years. I can do whatever I want. Dick Wolf well, Begins. I would watch that, though. <laughs> I really would, too. <laughs> the beginning of a Dick Wolf? I mean, that's going to be crazy. I don't know what happened. Oh, boy. It's like getting a blowjob from Fenrir over here, you know? It's like, yo, he just chewed through those chains that were holding the sun and moon Oh, together, boy. Okay, man. all right, all right. Come all on, right. bro. We're just doing too much here. It's going to be right. toothy. Mm, oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> My body. Oh, man. So, yeah, we should probably jump on to the second episode, huh? (laughs) All right, yeah. Silly day. I know, it really is. We're off today. It's just just wacky, man. It's just wacky, wacky. Wacky Wednesdays. I'm actually going to grab some coffee, because that's clearly what I need, right? Go for it. Oh, boy. Watch out the second half of this. All right, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. You're all fine. All right, so, yeah, I mean, so we've got Born to Run is the second episode, It's a Kate-centric episode. I think uh, it's hard for me to say which one of these two I liked more. I, I'm not sure, and and for different reasons. Like I think the greater good is just it's poorly made. But then there are tropes in Born to Run that I just did not like at all. And if anything, actually, I take this back. 
I think the reason why I don't like Born to Run is because Kate got three flashbacks, and one of them feels superfluous. All three of them feel a little superfluous. Obviously. They are, yeah, they do. Um, and we'll, I'm trying to we'll get into it. But yeah, like, I actually like this episode. This one is the most important one, honestly. Yeah. Anyway, I feel you. I think we're both on the opposite sides of it, where you're like, stuff about this works, and yet ultimately it annoyed me, and mm-hmm. I'm like. It annoyed me, but ultimately, I think it worked. So fair, yeah. yeah. We're both hovering around like a five out of ten kind Absolutely. of situation, yeah, for different reasons. Anyway, go go ahead. No, 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 no. So we've got the Losties. They're all jockeying for a spot on Michael's raft. Jen and Son. They're still at odds with one another. Locke has revealed the hatch to Jack, and so Jack now knows that there is this mysterious hatch. And our man Walt, he's got his spidey senses tingling, and he realizes that Locke is not the person that he thought he was, and actually asks Locke to not open up the hatch. In a really, really um, good performance. It's a good moment there from Malcolm David Kelly. I liked it quite a bit. Let's see here. Yeah, uh, the plot of this episode really is Michael gets poisoned. Who did it? There's not much else around it, honestly. Like, the island survivors are preparing to shove off. They're going to be on the raft. They're going to try and find some help. They do introduce Arst? 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 Yeah, it's Arst. In a, in humorous fashion, and I thought to myself, why wasn't he introduced earlier in the season? But that's just, you know, that's just me wondering aloud to myself. He's He's a fun character. He though. is a fun character. Of all the survivors who have stepped up, from background actor to featured performer roles. He's definitely my favorite in this yeah. season. I mean, what's the competition? Scott Steve? No, Joanna. Joanna, Joanna who is gets a... name dropped twice in these two episodes, man. Joanna was a strong performance. I have never seen forearms that look like that before. <laughs> That's forearm work that I've that never wrist seen. Action. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's all I've got to say. I thought it was really funny, actually, that in the middle of Saeed's eulogy at the Booneral, he talks about how Boone. <laughs> Mr. Five himself was the first one into the water to save Joanna. And literally all that that did was make Jack have to save him and thus Joanna drowned. Right. Not exactly a great argument, Saeed, for this dude's heroism. No. He could have just been like, and remember the time that he liberated all of those bottles of water from our care (laughs) so that they couldn't be cruelly drunk up by us? (laughs) He really saved all of that water from all of us thirsty survivors. Yo, what if he actually did that? Like, what if during the funeral he just went full backhanded compliment and just insulted Boone just thoroughly, just tore him apart? I think that would be a fun watch. And he made this incredibly brave choice. He was a truly intrepid explorer of romance, of matters of the heart, by admitting to his attraction to his own sister and then fucking her. Yeah. Great guy. Great guy. Yep. (laughs) So Sawyer basically goes nuclear in his attempt to protect his spot on the raft. And he reveals to the group that Kate is a convict. And the flashback storyline Kate, she reunites with an old flame. His name is Tom. She convinces Tom to use his station as a hospital doctor to allow her the opportunity to see um, a patient um, who is in recovery, who at this point, like, we think it's Kate's mom, right? Like, they don't really say who this person is, but it seems like it's it's her mom. mom. She does? Okay. I couldn't remember. The episode basically ends with Kate, Kate escaping the hospital with Tom in tow. 
security, open fire, Tom is killed, and Kate goes on the run. And that is most of the episode. I mean, we find out that Sun had attempted to keep Jen from leaving on the raft, and so she had poisoned the water that um, they had been drinking, and accidentally Michael is the the victim, the... uh, yeah, the unintended victim as a result. That's the end of the episode, right? Like, there's, there's there's not too much else going on here either. And, of course, we had Sun then talk to Kate, and it's revealed that Kate actually came up with the whole plan. The whole to idea. To do the right. poisoning. Right. Which, of course, Sun says she didn't mention to Jack. But it's like, how the fuck did Jack not put this together when just one episode previous, Kate surreptitiously drugged him Drugs to get him, him to sleep yes. mm-hmm. through his water? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yep. this guy can't put it together that she was involved in that same plot again? Come on. He's not following through. He is really not. Yeah, he is a great doctor and a terrible, terrible detective. (laughs) He is the worst detective. He is is not a true detective. I think we can agree. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. All right, so my favorite part of this episode is actually the very, very beginning because it felt to me very much like Hitchcock. It felt very much like uh, Psycho specifically. And I think it's because of uh, Giacchino's score, which felt very... It reminded me a lot of a lot of Psycho, um, and I liked it quite a bit. I, I like the mystery. I like you know just the little sequence of her changing her appearance, um, the fact that she's on the run. It feels very tense. Yeah, it started with that really nice crane shot, dude. Yeah. That was sick. That yeah. was really sick. Yeah, very very yeah. well done. Yeah. And since we're on the topic of Giacchino's like dad joke track titles, the name of that track that you're referring to is yeah. Kate's Motel. So, yes, the psycho oh, yes. reference okay. is definitely All right. great. Great, 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 great. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. For me, the difference is, and I thought it was interesting what you focused on in your recap, I thought this episode actually was overall pretty good in terms of island stuff for just, like, being the episode that sets us up directly for the finale. Mm-hmm. It's doing a lot to just sort of get characters arranged in just the right places for shit to really start to go down with the hatch and the raft. And it's really become clear that these two things are going to be the big issues that the finale starts to resolve. So I, I liked that stuff. And I thought, you know, you had really good character moments, as you said, for Walt, also for yeah. Michael. Michael yeah. had some really strong acting moments. Harold Perrineau really, great. Uh, I thought, just killed it this week. Mm-hmm. You get another nice callback to like all the Sawyer and Kate romantic tension that part where they're standing with that raging fire between them and they just yeah. hate each other again and it's yeah. so hot it's just what are you gonna do man oh, it's boy. just ah do you think Sawyer was trying to tell her that she needs to get vaccinated <laughs> I hope he was yeah. I fucking hope he was I know god damn but yeah and I love this episode just it's got a ton of really nice camera work in it I really loved the wide shots that they did of both the hatch and the raft really showing you both in a lot more detail to just sort of say these are these two places these two objects were really establishing them well now where before they've been a little more obscured so that you kind of know where people are going to be at in the finale kind of know the geography there's a nice beach shot too that i think is really well done it's just like a simple very picturesque beach shot like sunset but yeah the camera language just it changes so much from episode to episode like if the greater good was shot more like this episode, I think it would bump it way up in our estimation. You know, and the problem with this episode is just the Kate problem. Yeah. Which I think is kind of an issue that's been 
dogging this whole season, which is that Kate was supposed to be the main character. Yes. And very early on, they decided that wasn't going to be the case. And you look at this episode and it's like, this is a Kate flashback because they kind of realize, ah, we still haven't done enough to really establish Kate's character. There's so many characters who in a single flashback episode got established way better. I mean, you look at Hurley and it's like that one episode, they got it done. And he was a great character before that. And now he's only a richer character. Jin being the same way. Yeah. Kate, it's like we're on her third flashback and we still she still just isn't really like working from a motivation standpoint and you look at the episode around her and it's as i said you know it's this episode that's a runway to the finale but the thing about it man is she is so decentered from the island plot of this episode she isn't driving the story at all really this is a character who has had her protagonist status ripped away from her and she's just kind of in the middle of everybody else's shit and doesn't have a function yeah because it's she's not like Locke, who is going on you know this this crusade mm-hmm. for the hatch and she's not necessarily a leader of men the way jack is and she's not an antagonist either in the way that sawyer is and so yeah you're right she is just sort of like flitting about through other people's stories i had not considered that so directly in the way that you uh, yeah you said that very well oh thanks man yeah 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 so here's my question to you. Which of the flashbacks of Kate's would you have cut out? Hmm. I mean, this is really the one that you needed. This one probably should have been the first flashback. Yep. And you look at Tabula Rasa, and it's a similar situation where it's like she has to choose between being on the run and protecting this person who she formed an emotional connection with but really you want the emotional connection of that guy who really caused this deep psychic scar for her right and the problem here man is you know i like that they were trying to like enrich her character and they kind of give her these sweet scenes with this actor coming in mackenzie aston who i thought did a an okay job i didn't think they had great chemistry to be honest or anything I liked the way the scenes were written, at least. I felt like the intent of them, and I liked the way that that scene is shot where they're unburying this time capsule, and it's all lit by the headlights of the car, and they're drinking beer. Mm -hmm. I see what they were going for here. But the problem is, looking at it from a macro view, this is the thing that's supposed to unlock her character and why she's so tortured, and it makes her so pathetic. Yeah. Really, this isn't some great love. This is a guy she had a crush on when she was a kid, when she was a teenager, you mm-hmm. know, and they were making mixtapes and burying them. And going he back seems happily and married that, too. Yeah, he's already like, he's got a life, he's got a career, he's and she comes on. back and intrudes into his life with this and then gets him killed. Yep, yep. <laughs> and you're just immediately like, ah, Kate does not have her shit together no, at all. No, For this character who could have been this exciting, manipulative criminal who has all of these changing, you know, shifting dynamics and is getting into everybody's heads and messing with them. Instead, she really comes across as kind of pathetic in this episode, and it bummed me out, you know? It's not, not that she has to be this strong character. She can certainly be flawed, but it seems to marginalize her in a lot of ways. Oh, how are we supposed to take her seriously as this tough criminal or con person or anything after, you know, this just giant mishap she has over a high school crush? So which one would you have cut? Honestly, the one to cut is 
whatever the case may be. That's what I was thinking. That one is just a holding pattern episode. Really, this was the one that needed to come first, and I think it just kind of needed an overhaul. Yeah, it does need to be rewritten, but I don't understand why they waited until this late in this season to reveal this. And then this makes me think about another flashback. I think there's a later one where they actually tell you why she's on the run to begin with. Yeah, sure. Um, And I think that that one also could have been included as opposed to whatever the case may be. Right, right. Instead of like stringing that along until season two, late season two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. they should have jumped on it. Yeah. Kind of like we're talking about with Locke's paralysis, but probably even even more so. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you there, man. I'm, I'm with you. I mean... Honestly, instead of doing a Saeed flashback in the last one, they probably should have done a Shannon flashback. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she doesn't get one at she all. She doesn't get season, one at all. And that was kind of the episode where her character was opening up and doing a lot more. And you could have contrasted it really well with a scene of her in her old life being this total mean girl, using her social influence to, you know, make Boone's life miserable, to ostracize one of her friends anything could have been a nice way to get ian summerholder post-death coming back in right you know right having a little more just a last moment with her too and instead it's a saeed flashback that doesn't really do anything for his character either way so i felt like that was a bit of a missed opportunity but i don't know i mean all that aside i really like what they're doing on the island in born to run i think that even if this episode has its issues even if there's annoying stuff going on i think that it's well made enough and it's setting us up for the finale in a way that i'm a little more okay with it this is a it's a good attempt and again like there are other shows that have done taken the same concept and done it better but i do think that this is a good attempt at putting the characters at odds with one another maybe fraying a few alliances right before kind of your end game uh, at the end of the season. So it's decent. Yeah, I'll give it a solid like B, you know. I got you. I'm, I'm bringing you around a little bit. I mm-hmm, feel just like. a little bit. I really like all the work they're doing with Michael and Walt in this episode. They're really setting up uh, Michael's intense desire to protect his son by getting him off the island and how risky and dangerous that is at the same time. Yeah. I, I also like that they have done a pretty decent job separating Locke and Jack and really starting to establish a rivalry between the two. It's clear that Jack does not trust Locke. I think that that's kind of been on the table for quite some time. And I think it really only gets enhanced in this episode. So yeah, I like all the work they're doing with Jack right now. Actually, it's funny. I I really like how they've broken him down through uh, Do No Harm, and even, you know, going into uh, The Greater Good, he's still pale and shaking from his blood transfusion, and you can just tell that this dude is really, he's pushed beyond being this overachiever hero type who wants to save everybody. He really seems unstable now, and everyone seems to have come around to that to a certain extent. You know, we need Jack, he's the doctor on the island, but we're all a little less sure that he's going to be our savior. He's He's really the guy to be in the main leadership position. So they're making way for the potential of a wise council to maybe be formed. Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. We need the wise council. Absolutely, we do. Do we put Arst on the wise council? This guy knows his weather. 
Oh, it's true. He knows his weather, you know. He's uh, knows a little about chemistry here. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, he came in so strong, you know. He's just he did. He, he yeah, was in he the background for so long, yes. and then he just had this explosive moment here. So I think we should just see if he has any more. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. look and see. We'll watch his career with great interest. <laughs> okay, McDermott. <laughs> This is Grillo Marshall. Is this right? Yes. Yes. He did the story. The okay. teleplay. Actually, thank you for bringing up writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The teleplay for that episode, though, was by Edward Kitsis and Adam Horowitz, who were a writing team who uh, had worked with Abrams before. They were writers and producers on Felicity, and they were hired on late in this season. They didn't join the writers' room until numbers. But uh, yeah, I mean, these guys have been like hot shit tv writers doing a ton of work and they got on lost late here but they stayed with the show until the end and then wow. after that they uh created once upon a time oh so, wow good on yeah. them just continuing to do huge shit they also wrote tron legacy which is oh man it's your favorite tron movie it is my favorite tron movie it's one of those movies I, it's a movie where i'm so frustrated that it's not a masterpiece because it has so many good elements and then yes. so many elements that just absolutely wreck it i know i know and i'm just oh it's there are movies where it's like i can just pull out the great parts and love them and appreciate it in spite of its flaws but tron legacy is that one where i'm like god damn it god <laughs> damn it tron legacy why aren't you just a little bit better who direct so tucker gates directed this episode yeah, he directed uh, Born to Run. He directed Confidence Man and In Translation. So I think between these three, he really is, you know, one of the stronger directors on the show. I would say so. He keeps directing. Uh, he does another Kate flashback in season three, and then he does several episodes in season six. Yeah. Including yeah. Uh, Across the Sea, which I won't talk about anymore. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I have thoughts and feelings about that episode. Oh, boy. <laughs> but I, I think his directing here is very good. It's. No, I mean, it's no George of the Jungle, too, but what is? Do you have, like, a favorite? Uh, in, are we doing favorite scene, or do you want to do overrated, underrated? Oh, I like favorite scene. Okay. Sure. I'll go. Okay. Do, can I go first? Go for it, man. Yeah. I'm going to shout out. I'm going to come back to how you described it. Locke's pitiful explanation of Boone's death. Oh, yes. And yeah. Jack's response. I like the performances in both of those. I think that they're great. I like Matthew Fox. I think he is just doing the most that he can with being exhausted mentally mm -hmm. and physically and yet enraged just morally like he is like morally enraged. He's just got this righteous indignation that he's working with. Uh, and I'm like, man, that's like the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's just such a fiery beginning to the episode. Loved it. Yep. Oh, it's a tough one to top, man. Mm -hmm. It's probably my favorite as well. To go with something different, though, I'll highlight another scene that I really loved. Also from the greater good. So, you know, maybe this episode is rising a little in my estimation. Who knows? But a scene that I really liked was where Shannon goes to Saeed and is just like, you care about me. You do anything for me. So uh, why don't you go get John Locke? <laughs> right. You know, when she says get it, she means like he needs to get got. Yes. That's what she's talking about. Oh, yes. And she mm -hmm. knows she has the man to do it, too. Mm -hmm. And the, the conflict from Saeed, just his immediately, oh, fuck. You, you asked me to do the exactly. one thing. 
I swore I, I was not anything do. for love, but, but I, I won't. won't do that. Yes. R.I.P. Meatloaf, man. Oh Oof. my god. Oh man. Yeah. Ugh. A good good scene. And I just I just love when this is just one of my kinks. What can I tell y'all? But when a pretty girl decides to go full on sociopath revenge oh nightmare yeah, mode. Yeah, that's your thing. I, yeah, I you can't it. stop I yourself. I just love it so much. Yeah. And you oh get, boy. you know, she doesn't go all the way there, but you get some real flickers of it with Shannon here. Yeah. And I just wish they had pushed it even further. Just stop sweating. Just stop sweating so much. <laughs> Control yourself. <laughs> yeah, any any other thoughts on either of these episodes? Oh, man, no, I, I think we covered it. I, I, I'm with you that there are some ups and downs. I think maybe just from, like, the directing and camera work standpoint, that's kind of what pushed me a little more on the positive side with Born to Run. But I agree with you that there are story issues all over. It's just narratively ways. that I'm just not particularly pleased with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I think I think it's setting up a really good finale that I'm really excited to crack into. So, yeah. uh, same, yeah. same. Let's see how that goes. So, can I tell you something interesting? Yeah. All right. Of so, yes. I was out and about, um, and actually what happened was I had a conversation with someone who asked me about The Sopranos. They don't know that, I do, that you know, this podcast exists, and so I told yeah. them about it. And they said to me, do you want to know my theory on what happens at the end of The Sopranos? He's like, I, no one's ever Shit. heard this before. And I was like, hmm, all right. Yeah. I'm intrigued, right? Yeah. Guy goes, I think the final moments of The Sopranos, when he looks, when Gandolfini looks up at whoever's coming through the door and there's a cut to black, he says, I think that that's the moment that Tony Soprano is no longer depressed. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, wow, dude. Yeah. I thought you were just going to say the obvious that we've always been thinking that that's the POV of a dead person. Yeah. That's the black Mm -hmm. screen. I kind of love that dude like the, it came out of left field and i had never had considered that before yeah but it's just like everything is done he's finally yeah. happy yeah right he's got his family and he reached that level of security through pure aggression and a bunch of mob violence and he's like yeah that shit's settled and he sees his daughter come through the door yep and boom I don't think that's what the show is doing. Oh, clearly. All. Yeah, I don't think so I don't, either. But I don't I l- subscribe to that at all, but I no. love I like that, that idea. idea. Yeah. Yeah. I was oh, fascinated by that. That is really fascinating. Funny the conversations you can have with someone, you know, at 12 in the morning over just some wild stuff. Yeah. I know. And I love <laughs> that we did our due diligence. We covered the whole first season. And now we can just go full soprano spoilers just jump right to the end yes yes hell yeah oh boy yeah yeah Yeah. i mean come on y'all know about the cut to black y'all know yeah we know yeah come Come on on. we're not spoiling anything we're trying to be you know new viewer new listener friendly a little bit but come on y'all know about the cut of course like it's been what like 14 years 14 15 years we don't have to yeah Yeah. no more any power rankings that you're gonna do Mm, no i mean these are kind of interesting episodes in that the power rankings are just like all over the place. You know, yeah, it's like mm-hmm. you're looking at just the Dow ticker. Of <laughs> you're looking at the stocks just going like up and crazy, down. up and down, you know, they're That's all fair. over the place. That's fair. Yeah, this is a little t- tough to predict. Lock stock over here. Oh, my God. It's like you're looking at a graph of Bitcoin or something. Yo, Locke is totally into some crypto, place. son. Oh, okay, here's a question. <laughs> who out of all the characters on Lost, who's the most into crypto? 
the most into crypto. Who is it going to be? I feel like Hurley would be into some crypto. I, I was going to say, like, Hurley? Yeah. yeah. Just, he's like, hey, I got this horrible streak of luck for everyone around me. Might as well invest in some NFTs, bro. You know, watch the planet burn while my giant pile of cash just gets bigger and bigger. I could see it. I could see him being into some bored apes. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're right. That's a good one. Is it time for? Is it time for a name that episode? I think it's gotta I be. I think it is. All right, I think ladies we and gentlemen, dragged this out long We've enough. done it. We are doing it. <laughs> time for name that episode, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. This is the show where Alex either elevates himself or humiliates himself in attempts to guess <laughs> the name of television episodes, the title Thank of television you. episodes. Thank you for describing it that way. That's yeah, great. That's exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. It's like either you're going to be the president or you're going to be asked to commit seppuku. On the White House lawn. <laughs> it's one or the other. Yeah. It's like you're just standing in the Rose Garden and it's like, <laughs> I have to inform you all that I may be cutting open my stomach and pulling my bowels out any minute now. Or I might be your president. Not sure. Yeah, exactly. We're still waiting on the results. Can you that? I am no longer the president in the new day. <laughs> I have my Tonto with me. I'm ready to go. I love that idea. Okay, here we go. All right. So in this season two episode of Arrested Development, Job promises to build a model house for a development within a two week period. And every member of the Bluth clan agrees to chip in and help. Meanwhile, Lindsay purchases a cream made of powdered diamonds. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I know just this episode. This is the episode where uh, Buster recreates the Buster Keaton stunt where yes. uh, the model home like falls falls apart on him mm-hmm. he, yeah yeah he's trying to get workman's comp and he falls right through the uh <laughs> the top right. window yeah that's great <laughs> uh is this called the right man for the job oh no it's not no no Mm-mm. fuck oh man hmm is it close to that mm, not really no fuck. no I wanted to say it was like development arrested, but that's the the third season finale. Hmm. 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 Give me a little hint. So this is the season two. It's episode two of season two. Yeah. It's one, two, three, four, five, seven words directed by Patty Jenkins. No kidding. Patty mm-hmm. Jenkins. Yeah. Whoa. Yep. I didn't know she did some arrested development. Sure did. Damn. That's awesome. No, no, no. Give me, give me a little hint about, like, the words in the title of the episode. Uh, it involves building a house. Nah, nah, I can't. Don't have it? I, I feel like I know it, but it's just escaping me. So it's called The One Where They Build a House. Ah, mm. nice. Yeah. yeah. Did you have it or just kind of, like, not even close? No, no. Okay. I was thinking of something else. All right, nah. all right. Number two. On to number two. In this fifth episode of the fourth season of The X-Files, this Monster of the Week story reveals that Mulder was a Confederate soldier in a past life. The episode was written as a showcase for actress Kristen Cloak. Kristen Cloak? I don't know her, but uh, this episode is called The Field Where I Died. Yes, you got it. Oh, yes. Sweet justice. Mm -hmm. That's a really good episode, dude. Yeah. It like holds this distinction. You remember how last week I was talking about the X Files VHS tapes? Yeah, there was like mm-hmm. a minor controversy where 
what they did with the X-Files VHS is they just picked the best 12 episodes of each season and put them on VHS, which to me is so telling of how it's like, yeah, it's a network show. It goes 24 episodes a season. We know they're not all winners. Right. We try to make at least half of them really good. Yeah. And that was totally Chris Carter's intention. And he's like, yeah, here you go. Here's our 12 best. You don't need to watch the others. But... The Field Where I Died was not included on the X-Files VHS tapes, so oh. you didn't get to watch that one until the complete series DVDs came out, uh, you know? Okay, so, okay. So, yeah, but people were mad because they were like, that was one of the best episodes. One of the better episodes. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But season four is just really fucking good. Yeah. It just has a lot of good episodes. Ready for number three? Let's do it. Okay, here we go. This season one episode of Mad Men was directed by Paul, is it Paul Fig? Paul Feig. Paul Feig, yeah. thank you. Yeah, directed by Paul Feig, during which McCann Erickson makes their first attempt to poach Don Draper. Oh. Jim Hobart offers Betty a modeling job, much to Don's disapproval. Okay. One this word. is the episode with the pigeons, right? Yes, I believe so. Right? Isn't it that she's, like, shooting pigeons? She shoots the pigeons at the end of One the episode. One of them gets mm-hmm. eaten by, like, the family dog, and mm-hmm. it's a whole kerfuffle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is it called Shoot? Yep. Absolutely. Ah, there you nice. go. All right. Two out of three. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. My thing about that episode is um, Paul Feig, I love Bridesmaids. I think that's a great movie. I really like Spy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, his other movies, not really into. His TV work, I think, is like hit or miss. And at this point, too, it's like I feel like uh, we just we know the tropes of Paul Feig TV so much. You know, we really know the tropes, but like he's got his lane. And yep. I think that is easily the weakest episode of season one of Mad Men, which otherwise is a pretty immaculate season. Really? Oh, man, I'm gonna have to go back and look over these now. I think that one is is definitely the odd man out. The one episode where it's like, oh, yeah, the tone isn't quite there. So I'm gonna I'm lay that at Mr. Paul Feig's feet, even though okay. everything I hear super nice dude incredibly nice guy i worked on a show that he directed some of and everybody really really loved working for him being on set and working for him that's good yeah that's good kind of that show got totally dumped by fox it's like almost two years and it still hasn't come out and they're about to drop half of the season online with like no announcement so they should can that okay man what are you gonna do though wow we all got paid i guess any other thoughts on these last two episodes of Lost before we move on to like the end game? Yeah. No, no. I think we're in the end game now, man. We are. We I are. I will just say, finally, thank you so much for doing this podcast with me. It is absolutely one of the highlights of my week, man. For so sure. much fun. It is so much fun. I will also thank all of you listeners for listening out there and hope you will follow, give us a rating, give us a review. If you want to, like, email us some questions, hit us up at goatseasonpod at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on our Instagram, at goatseasonpod. I want to thank Janice O'Leary for our artwork, Josh Sullivan for our intro music, and Battlequake for our outro. And we will see you next week for the Lost Season Finale, Exodus, parts one, two, and three. Peace. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.